really pumped to be jumping in with you guys here tonight. Uh, if you've ever been around the living room, uh, if you've, you know, uh, you've probably heard uh, me talk about uh, this psychologist who isn't alive anymore, but uh, Maslow, Abraham Maslow, he kind of developed this um, hierarchy of human needs, this theory where he just basically talked about, hey, I think there's like kind of these five basic needs that humans have uh, that, uh, that, that dictate kind of our motivations and our behaviors. And, and, and maybe you've seen this in, when you're in high school or some psychology class in college, you certainly probably heard this Maslow's hierarchy of needs. He kind of has them set up in kind of like a pyramid fashion because in some ways um, he argues that they kind of like build on each other. But these are kind of like the five basic needs that Maslow argued we all have. Um, and if we can fulfill these five basic needs, then we will survive and thrive as humans. Um, and so they, they kind of start with physiological needs. A uh, physiological need is like air, water, and food, okay? Like literally just for actual instinctual survival. Uh, then we have safety needs, and safety needs is just like us feeling secure, us knowing that we can be healthy, feeling like we're in a safe environment and there's no threat or danger literally to our life. That's a safety need. Um, and then you get into what it might look like to thrive, right? Love and belonging, which is connection, a sense of family, um, knowing you've got people, uh, relational connection. And then you've got self-esteem needs, um, which is uh, you and I having respect for ourselves, living free from the opinions of other people, having a healthy view of ourselves and who we are. And then lastly, kind of at the top, he said we have these self-actualization needs, which is this desire deep down inside of all of us uh, to want to be the best that we can, to want to step in and realize our fullest potential. Now, um, this theory is so fascinating to me uh, because the way that it kind of works is, uh, at least the the way that he suggests that it works, and I I buy it, I'm not a psychologist, but I think it makes a lot of sense to me, is that to some degree, your brain kind of scans whatever environment you find yourself in, trying to figure out um, if these needs are met or not. And he would argue that the first needs that your brain always tries to figure out if they are met are the physiological and the safety needs. And the reason for that is because your brain's primary job is to keep you alive. So if you're struggling in school, you'd be encouraged, okay? Because your brain is still doing something today. I'm just kidding. Um, But your brain's primary job, its primary responsibility, the thing that it is most um, concerned with is making sure you survive, to keep you alive. It's why if you're walking in the woods and you come up on a bear, your, your, your brain is not worried about, I wonder if that bear loves you, right? Like it's not, your brain is not leading you to think about, I wonder if he likes my Lulus. You know, like it's not, there's no self-esteem. There's no nothing in that moment. No, the bear doesn't love you. The bear wants to eat you, right? And so your brain immediately kicks into overdrive. Your central nervous system goes crazy, fight or flight, and you run because there's a safety need that now suddenly is not met. So first and foremost, your brain's primary responsibility is to keep you alive. But it's fascinating. The theory goes that once, um, once a need has been met, uh, your brain doesn't really walk into an environment and scan for it anymore. And it's fascinating, right? Like you didn't walk in here today and you're like, all right, before I sit down, I've got to find the, the, the closest source of water. You know, like <laughs> you didn't do that, right? It's like, okay, let me make sure it is structurally sound in here. You know, like you just knew. Yeah, I, I can find water here. Your, your, your brain is just conditioned when I, and part of that is just because we're fortunate to live in, in the world that we live in and the country that we live in, but we know, okay, I'm gonna walk in. If you've been here before, oh, they're gonna have Dasani water bottles. I get it, right? They make you more thirsty, but you know what I mean? Like you just knew. 
There's no question. You, you didn't walk in wondering uh, about your physiological needs and, and maybe you're a little uncomfortable walking into it to a big group of people. So maybe there's some questions about your safety needs, but you've kind of settled in. But once your brain kind of stops scanning, once a need has been met, it stops scanning for that need. And, and this is kind of how the, 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 the theory goes. And here's what I find so fascinating. That these first two bottom needs right here, safety and physiological, are the, the, the needs that you and I have in order to keep us alive. Once your brain knows that it can keep you alive, now it wants to help you thrive. And what Maslow would argue, um, according to his theory, is once your brain knows that you are physically safe from harm and you can physically stay alive, that the next basic need you need of highest priority in order to thrive in this world as a human is love and belonging. That once you know you're physically safe, the theory is, hey, the next thing that your brain scans for in this world the most and what it needs before anything else to thrive is love and belonging. And I buy this. I've lived long enough to understand, yeah, 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 yeah. I have been in so many situations and there's been so many seasons of my life where I wanted to know if I belonged, if I was loved, if I was accepted for who I was. And come on, let me just, let me just prove this to you painfully, but think back to sixth grade just for a second. Let's start there, this is easy. Think back to sixth grade. Think back to that, that first day. Think back to you thinking about what you were going to wear. Think about walking in and desperately trying to find somebody that you knew. For this sixth grader, that's me. Look at that. Thanks for saying awe and not laughing. Um, yeah, I did the top button before it was cool. What's up, baby? Um, this sixth grade, this was circa 2000, 2001. That's when sixth grade was for me. Yeah, I know. I just dated myself. Um, yes, they, they did yearbooks in black and white back then. Uh, but this sixth grader, he wanted to know more than anything that he could belong. Now, I didn't put that word around it. I didn't really put that. And, and back then, certainly there was some insecurity. But I remember walking in and I just, I, I wanted to, I didn't care if whether or not people thought I was cool or not. I just wanted people to like me. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be friends with them. I wanted to be friends with them. Like I wanted to be really good at basketball because the school that I went to, everyone played basketball. And I was really, really short and not good at basketball. But there was just so many things that I wanted to do and wanted to be a part of the ways that I dressed, the shoes that I tried to get my parents to buy me. Why? Because what I wanted more than anything was I wanted to be connected. I wanted to belong. I wanted to be accepted. And it drove so much of my thinking and so much of my behavior. So it's like, okay, yeah, cool. Of course, sixth grade Samer wanted to do that. But come on. That desire to belong and to want to be connected and accepted and not being afraid of being fully and completely known it manifests a little bit differently as we get older, but it never goes away. Y'all, when I first started this job, I was 26 years old. And um, our church here is uh, a part of a network of churches. We have a bunch of campuses, uh, a few campuses around the Atlanta area. And every six to eight weeks, we get together, all the staff from all the different campuses get together in one location, and we have what we call an all-staff meeting. And, you know, we celebrate some things, and Andy Stanley, our senior pastor, speaks and, you know, shares some vision and stuff with us and encourages us. And uh, three weeks into my job, 
I had my first ever all staff and it was at our, our campus in Alpharetta. So I'm three weeks in, I barely know the people at Woodstock City. And so I drive there and I'm, you know, I'm walking in and I walk into the room. It's the auditorium, it's an auditorium just like this, but no seats are in it and there's just round tables everywhere. I walk in and I see like 300 people and I don't know anybody. I can't see anybody from our staff at Woodstock City. I can't see anybody that I work with. I'm kind of suddenly start freaking out on the inside. I'm a pretty sociable person, but suddenly I get really insecure. I'm kind of like freaking out. So what do I do? I'm not kidding. At 26 years old, I pull out my phone. I fake a phone call and I walk to the bathroom. And I go into the stall. I don't know why I did that. The bathroom would have been fine. But then I go into the stall and I'm like, okay, what's my game plan? You know, like, I don't know, what do I do? Just wait until more people get there, you know? And I just literally hung out in the bathroom for a couple of minutes, I'm not kidding. I'm 26 years old. I'm working at a church full of a lot of really nice people. But there was still this part of me, just like there was a part of me in sixth grade that felt uncomfortable when I did not know where I was connected, that did not like, I did not have a place that I belonged, that did not know where my people were because the desire to belong, the desire to know that you're connected, the desire to be able to identify who you roll with and who accepts you for who you are, that desire runs deep and it never goes away. What happens is we just sometimes start to get too old and too cool to admit that it's true. But come on, it's why as a freshman, you're coming in to school and you're thinking, ah, you know, uh, one of the scariest things is I don't really know anybody. I just met my roommate randomly. I hope that goes well. But it's why you're so excited to join a fraternity or sorority or do some of the intramural sports or whatever you're a part of because you're trying to figure out who your people are. And if you've graduated and you're not in school anymore and you're trying to figure out post-grad life, one of the scariest things is, uh uh-oh, I don't have that fallback anymore. I don't have that college community anymore. Where is it that I belong? Who is it that I'm connected to? Who are my people? It's terrifying. In fact, um, if we're being really, really honest, oftentimes um, we found ourselves in a place where we're surrounded by so many people, but known by very, very few. For some of us, surrounded by so many people, but known by none. In fact, loneliness, loneliness is becoming one of the most prevalent problems in our generation. I read this article, this was eight months before pandemic. And so um, it's fascinating to me because I think the problem has got even worse because of it. But I read this article uh, right before pandemic, it was written by the Dean of Religious Life at the University of Southern California. And this is what she wrote, this is fascinating. She said, I never got the question in my first five years at USC that I now get almost daily from students. How do I make friends? This is like y'all. This is literally just two years ago I read this article. How do I make friends? Students may have thousands of friends online, but few of them in real life. They may be experts at talking with their thumbs, but not so much with their tongues. As a result, watch this, many feel as though they don't have a tribe or a sense of belonging, and she goes on to write, they feel disconnected from what it means to be human. No tribe, no sense of belonging, and it disconnects people from what it means to be human. Why? Because the desire to belong to know you've got your people, to know that you're accepted no matter what is or isn't true about you, run so deep that if it's missing, we cannot thrive. In fact, we're disconnected from what it means to be us. 
living, breathing human beings created for it. Because here's what's true. There's nothing worse than not belonging. There's nothing worse than not having a place. There's nothing worse than feeling left out. There's nothing worse than feeling than not feeling welcome. There's nothing worse than feeling invisible. There's nothing worse than feeling like you've got to put a mask on, not the COVID mask, the mask that says, I'm not going to show you the real me. I'm going to show you the fake me because I'm not sure you could handle the real me. And no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been a part of this church, no matter how long or how long you haven't believed in Jesus, no matter where you are on the faith spectrum, whether you read your Bible every day or you've got no faith at all and you were just here for Chick-fil-A, I'm really glad you're here, hope you enjoyed it. No matter where you are on the faith spectrum and no matter what your story is, we all need to know that we are loved. We all need to know that we are accepted. We all need to know that we belong. We all need to know that we've got family. And for some of us, we need to know that we've got family beyond our family because our family never was what it should have been. And can I just tell you, I'm a professional Christian and I still feel this. I'm a professional Christian and I desire those connections and not out of insecurity of just wanting people to like me, It's I know living in isolation is not the way that I was created to live. And living unknown and not being fully known by other people is not the way that I was created to live. And here's the tension. You ready? Here's what I'm gonna talk about for the next few minutes. The unfortunate reality is that there there are too many people. Some of you may be sitting in this room, but there are too many people in our world that no longer believe that church and faith and anything connected to Jesus is where you can find that love and belonging. The unfortunate reality is there are far too many people that have no idea that this space and this place is a place where you can find belonging. They have no idea that Jesus offers a love and belonging unrivaled to any other tribe or place or any kind of love that you or I could find or run to. And I could not think of a better idea as we get back to some kind of normal rhythm, as we get back into, for some of you welcoming you into this place, if you get back into your normal rhythm of school, into your normal rhythm of work, for some of you joining into this family for the first time, I could think of no better topic to consider talking about than what is the heart of Jesus, therefore what is the heart of this church and this ministry and what it will be for the world. There are far too many people, and maybe you're one of them, that for you, when you think about church, it's the, the most exclusive thing that you could ever think to be a part of. In fact, maybe it's a miracle that you are here tonight. That for you, church was always never being able to measure up. Has anyone ever been to Six Flags when you were younger and you were too short to ride? Just me, okay. I remember my dad got so mad at a dude, you know? And that guy deserved it, even though I was too short to ride. Um, But that's what faith has felt like. Every day someone telling you, you're not tall enough to ride. Or maybe it was Christians or some youth pastor or somebody that judged you in a way that said, you don't even know me. Wrote you off in a way and said, wow, I shouldn't have shared my story. And for some of you, that's been the story of church and faith is that this this place can't be the place that I belong. And then... 
there are some of you, you've been following Jesus for quite some time, but if I could just lean in for just a second. And again, maybe it's just me. But maybe you've had seasons or maybe you're in one where you've started to wonder, maybe God's grace has actually finally run out on me because I've messed up one too many times. Like you, you, you're, you're all about some church and you're all about some Jesus and you show up and you're on the front row every week and you are singing your heart out. But then when you go home, there's this piece of you that thinks, surely God's patience has run out on me because I can't kick this habit. I keep messing up the same way. I just can't, surely, surely for some of you, you felt so ashamed as a Jesus follower that maybe if you're just being totally honest with yourself, you've been so ashamed that you can't even bring yourself to pray to God because your thought is he's fed up from hearing from me because I just keep messing up the same way over and over and over again. No matter where you are, it is so easy to forget. It's so easy to miss the very heart of Jesus. And when you open up the pages of the New Testament, and when you open up the pages of the gospel specifically, one of the most prominent questions that is debated and talked about is who belongs in the family of God? Who belongs in the family of God? How can I be a part of the family of God? Can I ever get out of the family of God? Who belongs? in the family of God. And the way that Jesus answered this question, I'm just telling you, it flipped the first century upside down. And I believe that whether you're a Jesus follower or not, when we figure out the heart of the answer that Jesus gave to this question, it will flip your world upside down as well. Jesus consistently pushed the envelope in the first century. He made the religious people so upset because he was doing something brand new as we're about to see in a second. And there might not be a place he pushed the envelope more than in the way that he answered this question. Because everybody in the first century, all the religious people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what they wanted to do, the high priests, they wanted to draw a line in the sand with who belongs and who didn't. And Jesus said, I'm gonna do something new. There's this interaction that Jesus has. It's one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. It's a fascinating story. It's kind of a funny story we'll jump into in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus has this interaction with a man named Zacchaeus. I wanna jump into Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse one. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, real quick, what you've got to understand about a chief tax collector. In the first century, if you were a tax collector, you were absolutely hated. If you are a tax collector, in fact, throughout the, 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 the gospels, um, they had their own category of bad. Oftentimes you'll see the gospel writers say sinners and tax collectors. Jesus was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Like the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where they were writing down the events of Jesus' life and all the things they remembered about all the things that Jesus said. Like tax collectors were so bad, they were like, eh, we can't just lump them into sinners. They're like their own category. So we'll make a brand new category of bad and just put them right next to sinners. That's how bad they were. And the reason they were so bad was because, yeah, no one likes to pay taxes. We gotta pay our taxes. But what these tax collectors would do is they were Jewish people who collected taxes from their own Jewish people on behalf of Rome. And what they would do is they would always collect more than they needed. They would give what Rome wanted and then they would pocket the rest. So they were stealing from their own people and nobody could say anything to them because they were backed by the power of Rome. So tax collectors were not only thieves and cheats, they were sellouts of the worst kind because they were stealing. 
from their own Jewish neighbors. They were hated, despised. And Zacchaeus, he's a chief tax collector. Dude is on top of this pyramid scheme. He's got tax collectors on tax collectors working for him. So this dude was wealthy and on a whole nother level of bad, like scar. You know what I'm saying? Like when I think of evil, I, like it doesn't get much worse than scar, right? And we probably all know Zacchaeus. Maybe, maybe you, you feel like Zacchaeus. We've all probably been one. Bad reputation. Always feel like you're being secretly judged. Looked down upon. People have told you you're hopeless. Maybe you know someone who feels hopeless. Someone that's hated. Someone that does not belong. You don't feel like you belong. Someone, if we're being honest, Jesus follower, if you're just being totally honest, don't raise your hand, but you know someone and you're thinking, "Ah, yeah, they got no chance they can turn anything around. We know one, we've all been one, and maybe you feel like one. Watch what happens next. This guy, the worst of the worst, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. I can relate to this dude so much. Five, seven, five, eight on a good day, okay? But I was real short in middle school. Like, any, I mean, honestly, my whole life, I would love three more inches, God. Um, but like going to concerts, I could never see anything. Like I'm always the guy where if it's not stadium seating, I can't see a thing. So here's Zacchaeus. He ain't never in a roller coaster. Here is Zacchaeus. He's so short, but he wants to see Jesus. So what does he do? He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So I love this. Zacchaeus has no shame, man. He's like, I know I'm short, but I got more money than all y'all suckers. And so he's like, so he gets, I mean, he didn't say that, but he's like, I'm, I'm getting up on the street. I don't care. Cause he just wanted to see Jesus. He just wanted to see him. He'd heard about Jesus. He'd heard about the miracles that Jesus performed. He'd heard about the kindness that Jesus had. He'd probably heard of the acceptance that Jesus taught with. He heard about this rabbi that was just built different and he wanted to just see him. He just wanted to get a glimpse. He just wanted his eyes to catch Jesus. Maybe see what brand tunic he was wearing or what brand sandals that man rocked. Like he just, he just wanted to see him and with no shame, knowing he was short, he didn't care what anybody thought. You had to imagine people were laughing. He climbed up that sycamore tree because he just wanted to see Jesus. You got it, you can't miss this. Worst of the worst was ready to do whatever it took to see Jesus on the outside, was willing to change his vantage point to see Jesus, judged by everybody he ran into, wanted to see Jesus. There was something irresistible about Jesus. There was something to where the worst of the worst, the outcasts of all outcasts, the ones that did not belong, the ones that were always being judged, they couldn't get enough of Jesus. I should hold on to that thought because we're going to come back to it. So here's Zacchaeus. He wants to see Jesus and then something unbelievable happens. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house 
today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Don't, don't miss this. If you're taking notes, this is worth writing down. In this moment, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. But watch this. Something crazy happened. Don't miss it. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. But watch this. Jesus sees Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus just wanted to catch a glimpse. Probably did not think he would even look his way. But then Jesus sees Zacchaeus. He doesn't just look at him. He sees him. The difference between looking at and seeing is the difference between hearing and listening. I hear my wife all the time. She's in the back, babe. I'm so sorry. I can see it right now. We're on the kitchen island. I'm on my phone, either scrolling IG or more embarrassingly just playing a game that a 33-year-old shouldn't be playing. And, and she's talking to me and I'm, I'm hearing her. I'm even responding with words like, yeah, sure, uh-huh, what? Yeah, you know? And then when it comes to recounting the conversation, I'm like, hey, huh? What was that? Or she tells me to do something and I didn't do it. Why? Because I wasn't listening. I was hearing, but to listen is to engage, to interpret, to understand and comprehend. You can look at someone and not see them. When you see someone, it's to engage. When you see someone, it's to interact. When you see someone, it's to be intentional. To see someone is to care. To see someone is to love. And Jesus could have just looked. He could have just looked up, laughed, walked on. He could have looked and thought, man, dude is short and a little weird and kept going. He could have looked up and condemned him for being a chief tax collector. Zacchaeus, your mama would be so, you know, like he could have said a lot of things. But instead he saw him. He engaged with him and he invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And you've got to understand, this wasn't just a casual, hey, man, you wanna like hang out? No, no, no. To go to someone's house in the first century, you were making an intimate identification with that person. And you were choosing to say, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm gonna go to your house. That means I'm gonna identify with you. And in this moment, you're gonna identify with me. And there's gonna be consequences to the pe- with people in the religious community. This was not just a casual thing. Being a guest of was intimate. And Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And you know what else Jesus saw? Not only does he see Zacchaeus, don't miss this. Jesus saw all of Zacchaeus. All the bad. He knew all the mistakes. He knew all the money that he stole. He knew who Zacchaeus was. He knew the reputation And you can tell by the polarizing responses of people. Zacchaeus gladly welcomed him. That word gladly literally is translated rejoicing. Like Zacchaeus is doing backflips on the inside. I just wanted to see him. Now we're gonna get to go to my house. And the other onlookers were disgusted because this was not normal. This was not how things were supposed to go. This is not how you were supposed to operate as a rabbi. Because people like Jesus were not supposed to associate with people like Zacchaeus. And people like Zacchaeus did not belong with people like Jesus. Or so they thought. Because they didn't know what Jesus was up to. They didn't know that he came to flip the script. They didn't know that he was coming to do something brand new. But Zacchaeus stood up 
hearing all the people yelling at him. And he says, hey, hang on, Lord, look, Lord, here. And now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Then Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is so big. Jesus with a megaphone as loudly as he could in the first century and through the pages of the New Testament documents that we still have today is screaming to you and to me. Jesus wanted to make clear in a culture where people wanted to draw a line in the sand and say, you're in and you're out. In a culture that we live in today where people wanna draw a line that says you're in and you're out. Unfortunately, in some church cultures that wanna draw the line today that says you're in and you're out, your story is too bad, your sin is too messed up. Jesus wanted to scream to the world then and he's doing it to the world right now. Everybody can belong. That the one who was on the most outside when this story began, seemingly so, was the one who found himself on the inside as a part of the family of God. Salvation has come to this house, Jesus said. In other words, hey Zacchaeus, now you are a part of the family. And just to be clear, it wasn't because Zacchaeus decided to give back all the money and he did something really, really kind and Jesus said, okay, now you've deserved it, now you've earned it. No, 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 what Jesus saw in Zacchaeus, he saw that outward expression, but he knew something happened to Jesus, to Zacchaeus on the inside. What Jesus saw was something that changed in his heart. And I'm willing to bet it's probably because that was the first time that somebody saw Zacchaeus. It was the first time that any rabbi would have saw Zacchaeus. It was the first time that anybody with any kind of religious authority saw Zacchaeus. And it changed him forever. Jesus saw him and it changed him forever. And the irony in all this, Jesus on mission, I've come to seek and to save the lost. The ones who were most lost and stayed lost after that encounter were the ones that thought they had it all figured out. The ones that were most lost were the ones that were judging Jesus. And so when Jesus said those words, I don't know for sure, but I've come to seek and save the lost. And we always think that Zacchaeus was one of them. He surely was, but I also feel like Jesus was subliminally saying, hey, I came for you, but you just have no idea. Jesus came to make a way for everyone to belong. So what do we do with that? I wanna tell you one thing that's true and then I wanna challenge you to do something because that one thing is true. Here's the one thing that's true. <clears throat> Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. Like he, he sees all of you. And I'm not talking to the person just for a second even that doesn't have faith. I'm talking to the Jesus follower in the room really quickly. That he sees you. He sees the sin, he sees the secrets, he sees the struggle, he knows the story. And I just need to remind you, Jesus follower, God's grace never runs out on you. God's grace never quits on you. 
that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you've got to get it right all the time. We read the Zacchaeus story and immediately think, oh, I wonder who else is Zacchaeus. Forgetting that we were one and the same grace that saved Zacchaeus and that saved you is the same grace that sustains you every single day. The longer you follow Jesus, and I fall into this too, it's so easy, the natural drift, if you're a Jesus follower, is to let the relationship that he offers you become religious activity that he seemingly demands from you. We forget that it's a relationship he offers. It's not just religious activity. It's not just religious boot camp. No, no, it's a relationship. We are growing, we are learning, and it's a relationship that doesn't quit. It's a relationship that doesn't go away just because we get it wrong. Can I just tell you, if you're a Jesus follower in the room for a second, don't think about who the Zacchaeus is in your life. Will you just be reminded in this moment that that same grace is for you today too? For the Jesus follower that feels like God's patient has run out, he's not done with you. He's not angry at you. He's not ashamed of you. He has not written you off. He's not annoyed that you've messed up again. Over and over and over again in the New Testament, Jesus never turned anybody away that said, okay, I'm back. In fact, he continued to call people, say, hey, just come to me. So would your heart be encouraged by that tonight? If you've let faith kind of fall out of the normal rhythm of your day to day, can I just tell you, Jesus is ready to re-engage with you. If you feel too ashamed to pray because you're like, man, God doesn't wanna hear from me again, I just need to, I don't know how else to tell you, it's not true. We don't call him a heavenly father because it sounds good. We call him a heavenly father because he sees you as a child. And maybe you're in the room and, and, and you're not really sure what you do or don't believe about faith or maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. Or can I just tell you that Jesus sees you? Can I just tell you that you've been on Jesus's radar even before he was on yours? That you've been on his radar even before this church was on yours? He was on your radar even before you knew anything about Jesus or that this church even existed? And the message of the gospel is this. What is the gospel? We, we throw that word around a lot. It just means good news. And it simply means that there was this thing called sin that got in the way between us and a relationship with our heavenly father. And Jesus came to die for you and for me. And he rose from the grave three days later so that whoever puts their faith in him, that thing called sin doesn't define us anymore. We can live in relationship with our heavenly father and experience the fullness of life that Jesus offered to give us. Can I just tell you, look, the reason why you belong here, it's not because we're nice. I'm like kind of nice, but not really. Jesus is really working on that in me. My wife is really nice. You belong here not because we're nice. What's the standard of nice? How nice is nice enough? When does nice run out? No, 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 you belong here because Jesus said, I've died for everybody. You belong here because we all need Jesus the same. That's why you belong here. That the power of belonging is rooted in the power of the gospel. And the power of the gospel is the power of God to change your life and to change mine. So that's why you belong. And I hope we're nice. We're gonna be nice. I promise I'm kinda nice but you belong because 
Jesus made a way for you to belong in the family of God. Just like Zacchaeus, Jesus made a way. So Jesus sees you. What do we do with that? You ready for this challenge? See as Jesus sees. Who needs you to see them? Who needs the attention? Who needs the invitation? Who needs the investment? Because every person that you and I see every single day is someone for whom Jesus died. And if you're a Jesus follower, the only difference between you and them is you just happen to hear about Jesus first. That there are hundreds, if not thousands of people outside of the walls of this church that are looking for a place to belong. They're looking for love. And for many of them, and maybe this is part of your story, it was certainly a part of mine, have been running to all of the wrong places to find it. They need to know that there is a space for them. They need to know that there is a savior for them. What I love about Jesus is that he wasn't just about gathering crowds and neither are we. He was about growing a family and so are we. That's why we call this place a home away from home. I get emotional thinking about it. It's been the heartbeat of this place. And maybe for you, home was was never what you wanted it to be, but you always knew it should be more. This place exists to be everything that home should have been for you. That you can belong here before you believe. That here, just like at home, people aren't projects. That here, just like at home, is where you're gonna find family. Here, just like at home, your friends can belong. I can promise you that. Here, just like at home, and maybe not at home, but this is how it should have been, here at this home, love will live here. And real is welcome here. It's a home, away from home. Maybe the home you never had. Maybe the family you never had. But for all of us, the savior that we all need. Who needs to know? that they belong. Who needs to know that no sin, no secret, no struggle, or no story is too bad? Jesus came on a mission to seek and to save the lost. He did not come for the people that thought they had it all together and just ignored them outright. No, no. He came for the people that knew there was something missing. He came for the broken. He came for the sinners. He came for the tax collectors. He came for you and for me. So the question is whether or not we are going to live on mission with Jesus, to be a part of seeking and leading people to the savior of the world that wants to save their soul, that wants to give them an unconditional love that will set them free in life, an unconditional love that will allow them to thrive in this world, in this life, and experience the fullness that he came to give. Jesus was on a mission. And let it not be said, can I just tell you what we're gonna be about? Let it not be said of this place that what happens here stays here. I'm not interested in that. 
It's not what Jesus came to do. No, 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 Jesus came to build a kingdom to have lost people be found. And for this place to be a home away from home, can I just be honest with you? We need you to be a part of that. You can't have a home without family. And each of you represent this place. And each of you represent the church. In fact, we are the big C church. We are the reputation of the church. We are the reputation of Jesus. So what reputation of Jesus are we building in the way that we love? In the way that we live? May we live and love in a way that makes Jesus compelling. May people start to find this place so irresistible, not because we're awesome, not because the food's great, not because the messages are good, not because the music is awesome, but because there's something about the acceptance and the love and belonging that flows through the veins of this place that it's irresistible. I know I can bring my stuff. I know I can bring my story. I've got to figure, I, can, I know I can come here. I'm believing that for Kennesaw State and the hundreds and thousands that have no idea. I'm believing it for Chattahoochee Tech. I'm believing it for Reinhardt. I'm believing it for life. The school, by the way. <clears throat> I'm believing it for the place that you work. I'm believing it for the young professionals that, that you go to the office with every single day. I'm believing it for this community and I'm believing it for the surrounding counties around us that make up Kennesaw, Woodstock and Canton and wherever it is that you call home. Because there is a world out here that needs what we have. So would you be willing to start to see as Jesus sees? Compel as Jesus compelled, love as Jesus loved and maybe even look to invite and engage and initiate as Jesus did. Jesus sees you. Can you believe that with me tonight? That Jesus sees you and he loves you. May we see as Jesus sees and try to love half as much. Because if we did, it would change. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the gospel. We're so grateful that no matter how many times we've messed it up, how many times we've failed, you are still faithful to forgive. You are still faithful to give us grace. So Father, would you meet every heart where it's at? Would you remind them of the grace that is there? Would you show them the grace that is available? In Jesus' name, amen.